This is episode number 53 with Sid Schultz, Candid Life Lessons from the Trail. Welcome to the Sonia Looney Show. This is a podcast about how to live a high-performance life, spanning the subjects of mindset, inspiring stories, and plant-based nutrition. It comes from this idea of that we set these benchmarks. When I achieve this, I'll be this kind of person. And I think you have to sort of separate those things. You have to say, when I achieve this, I'll have achieved this thing. That's it. That's all that it is. It doesn't mean you're a good person or a bad person. It just means that you did this thing, which is awesome. And I think if you let go of all of the attachments to that and just celebrate that you did it, that's awesome. Today's guest is a fellow female pro mountain biker, Sid Schultz. Isn't it fascinating how riding a bike can teach us so much about ourselves and about life? I know for me, the bike has been the best possible teacher, way more than anybody or school could teach me about my life or what I'm capable of. Sid is a blogger, a pro enduro racer, and a YouTuber. And she has learned a lot of valuable lessons that she shares on her blog. And her blog is one of my favorites to read. From posts about mindfulness on the trail, to living in a van with her husband, Mackie, to her adventures around the world, Sid always has insightful and useful posts. You may also have seen her work published for Carmichael Training Systems, REI Co-op Journal, Bicycling Magazine, Runner's World, Matador Network, and so many more. She does a lot of writing and she's really good at it. I wanted to invite Sid to the show because she and I think about a lot of similar topics. In this podcast episode, you'll learn why you should stop apologizing on rides, how to turn a bad ride into a good ride, hear about why we care so much about what other people think, and what it's really like to be a professional racer. We also talk about how it's sometimes hard to be happy with where you are right now, and also about what progression really means in our sport. Sid and I also talked about how she and her husband Mackie make a living, which is something people always love asking pro racers. You have to be creative. Sid is incredibly down to earth, easy to talk to, and relatable. I hope you enjoyed this podcast episode with her, and don't forget to sign up for her newsletter to get weekly blog updates. I always look forward to an email from her every Wednesday. But before we get started, have you ever driven down the road and seen a car driving and seen a bike hanging out of a trunk and have the trunk bungee corded on top of the bike? Have you ever done that before? How about whenever you see a bike that's just tied to the roof of a car? A friend of mine calls that unsanitary bike transportation. And if you want to avoid unsanitary bike transportation, you should definitely get a rack. And our podcast sponsor is Kuat Racks. Kuat makes the lightest, most easy to use, and the coolest looking racks on the market. So go to kuatracks.com, check out their racks. They have all different kinds. I have a hitch-mounted Sherpa rack, and it definitely acts as a Sherpa hauling my bikes, aka my children, all over British Columbia and the Pacific Northwest. So check out kuatracks.com. How's the plant-based diet going? You guys are all welcome to join the Plant Power Tribe. I am trying to post different things on there. Recently, I posted about a type of mushroom I found at Whole Foods called a maitake mushroom, and it had all these different healing powers, so that was really neat to learn about it, and it tasted good too. Do you wanna go on the ultimate mountain bike vacation with me? That's right, it's in October. It is called the Sonia Looney Experience, and it's in Bend, Oregon, and I've partnered with Cogwild. 
Cogwild is a friend of mine. They are a tour company, so they lead and guide rides the south of Oregon and maybe all of Oregon. But they're going to be doing the guided part of the rides. There's going to be different ride groups, so all ability levels are welcome. The rides will be up to three hours long. We'll be doing yoga. We're going to eat great food. There's even going to be a brewery tour. And I'm also going to host a live podcast, which I've never done before, and do some speaking about some fun topics that you've heard a little bit about on the show. Thanks again for sharing the show with your friends. And I love you guys. Thanks so much for listening. So here we go. Here is Sid Schultz. Hey, Sid, how's it going? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing well. So you're in, is it Moab right now? No, I'm actually in Boulder. So we were in Moab earlier in the week and then ended up coming to Boulder and I'm seeing a physical therapist here because I'm having some knee issues and yeah, better for Skyping. The internet actually works. I was a little worried in Boulder. I was like, it says I have 4G, but like I can't load Instagram. So (laughs) (laughs) yeah. So you guys basically live on the road, right? We do. Yeah, we are primarily full time in the van. It's kind of like some people are really purists about the full time van life definition. And we definitely spend some time in the winter with my family or go somewhere that we can like rent a house or something. We're not staying in it in the very cold weather, but we don't have a house anywhere else or we don't pay rent anywhere regularly. So yeah, van life. That's awesome. How do you decide where you're going to go next? Because you basically have an unlimited freedom with where you want to go. Yeah, it seems like that. But then it kind of like we look at a race schedule and we, like we start pinning it down. And then by the time it's like April, we already know where we're going to be like almost every weekend. So <laughs> it's kind of funny. Yeah, if you're a racer, you're basically a professional traveler because your entire life revolves around your racing schedule. And people are like, oh, let's plan something in two months. And basically, if you're a racer, you can't because you already have your entire summer plan and also part of your fall. Yeah, exactly. And that's something that was sort of funny for me when I started racing, because I used to be the person that like, I never planned anything in advance. And now it's like, all planned really far out, but it's like all like crazy stuff. So people are like, Oh, I don't know if you're like, you know, wild and crazy, or actually like really structured. Like, (laughs) I can't tell. (laughs) So why don't you tell everybody about how you got into racing and the type of racing that you're doing? Yeah, so I have been racing enduro, which is sort of a downhill discipline, but you generally ride your bike to the top of the hill and then the race stages are downhill, primarily maybe some like short climbs. I started racing bikes when I was in college. I raced collegiate cross country, which I think is like a really common path, especially for like women who hadn't gotten into racing like at, you know, age 12 or something. So I started collegiate racing. XC racing wasn't really for me. I just like had trouble getting into it. And like, I'd like the courses that were a little more technical, but get kind of bored on the ones that were sort of like dirt roads. (laughs) And then, so my husband, Mackie had raced cross country professionally for years. And in 2013, Mackie transitioned to racing enduro from racing cross country. And I was like, oh, this actually looks like way more fun. You get to like 
ride some of the trails that would never make it into like a standard XC race. I'm guessing this is like some of the appeal for you with like marathon stuff too, you know, that you get to ride the trails that are cooler than the ones that are on like a three mile XC loop. (laughs) So that was like really appealing to me. And basically I started racing enduro. I kind of just jumped into racing pro and it's kind of funny I started racing pro because that I did one amateur season and as an amateur in enduro especially that year like the logistics of the races were so bad that you'd end up waiting at the top of every stage for like two hours like it was terrible and I was like screw this I'm just gonna you know race pro so that I can be one of the first people to go (laughs) that was like pretty much the original motivation and I got just like absolutely trounced in my first season of racing like it was just I was crashing all over the place and like I was just getting terrible results and really struggling with my headspace because I don't know what I expected like looking back at it I'm like well actually you did pretty good but (laughs) at the time I just thought I should be better than I was so I struggled a lot with that and had to like really just like totally kind of reframe the way I thought about sport and like the mental aspect of it and really embrace that to be like why am I doing this so I think I had to overcome that to like even make it I think to my second season of racing pro I'm probably not the only person with that I think like racing at the professional level is hard even if it's like enduro and you can just like sign up for pro um, without any qualifications at all So where do you think these expectations come from? Because it is really common and even in the amateur category for us to think that we should be performing at a certain level and always be performing at that level. And for some reason, we just have really unrealistic expectations sometimes. So where do you think that comes from or where did it come from for you? That's something I think I'm still figuring out because I still find myself like going into things and just thinking I should be better than I am. I think you know, we're all kind of raised with this idea like that, that failure is indicative of something more than just not having the experience. Like, I think so many people you're looking when you try something new, you're looking to like show quote unquote promise or like, you know, you want to some like some immediate success, you know, like, I think I always understood like, well, I want to work hard and like earn it. But like, I also want to do sort of well right off the bat so that like, I know I'm worthwhile or whatever. Yeah. So I think there's a lot of like junk in our heads to that degree where you just, yeah, I don't know. I'm curious to hear your perspective as well. Yeah. I don't know. I read a really interesting book and it's called Mindset by Carol Dweck and it's about fixed versus growth mindset. And a lot of that starts at a really young age. So like we're rewarded for our achievements and people say, oh, you're so smart to a little kid, or you're so good, you're so talented. And we never really award or reward or talk about how hard somebody worked. We just reward somebody's achievement. So what that means is if you're not achieving at that level all of a sudden, then suddenly that means you're not smart. So it becomes this weird duality of mutually exclusive things, which aren't. So in her book, she talks about how to even talk to kids and how to say, you worked really hard on this great job instead of saying you're so smart. And I think that applying that to our lives in every way possible is really important. But the hard part is that society still champions results like 
there's, if you win a race, people pay more attention and that picture on Instagram gets more likes when you've won the race. But Uh really that doesn't build connection. What builds connection is when things don't go right. And then you share what happened and you share really personal, vulnerable things. So I think that that should be rewarded more. Yeah, for sure. I've listened to uh, Carol Dweck's TED talk about growth mindset. So I I know where you're, I would like to read her book. It sounds really interesting. I think there's definitely like for me, I always did like really well in school, frankly, without trying that hard. Mm -hmm. So I think that was like sort of, didn't really set me up to like put in a lot of effort as an athlete, you know, like I kind of expected that if I was going to be good at something, it would be like school for me, which I just didn't, I was just good at it. I didn't have to fail and overcome and all that. And obviously that's an incredible privilege, but I think it also can kind of screw you up in a lot of ways because you think you know what having success is and, and, and what having like talent is. And then I've really, you know, wanted to be a bike racer the past few years. And that's like what I've been trying to do the past few years. And I think I've been hitting this roadblock where I just expect it to be easy because things have other things have been easy for me. Like writing blog posts is easy for me. (laughs) There's all sorts of stuff that's like come easily to me, but like racing mountain bikes has not been one of those things. (laughs) Yeah, but I also think it's how we define success in what we're doing. So, mm-hmm. and that's something that I struggle with too. It's like, was it successful if I didn't win or was it successful if I came 10th place? So what are your personal metrics on how you're deciding what, what success is? But so that's one question. And then the second question mm-hmm. is, how do you feel comfortable with that? Because if you're like, sweet, I was 10th place or fifth place or, or whatever, and then just being okay with that, like, how do you do that? Yeah. First of all, I think it's hard for me. I think that's something that's finally starting to come together for me this year that like really my only goal with racing is that I I do want my race results to reflect where I actually am. Cause I definitely like, I'm a bit of a head case with racing and I've had a lot of races where it's like, I know I could have done better and I know I didn't need to like do all the crashing that I did. And that's the hardest thing in the world. And I think obviously it's hard if that happens and you're also in last place, but like, honestly, like if I had a good race, you know, I actually just did what I could do. Like that to me is success right now, because honestly, like I'm pretty happy with my life and like where I am. So if my race results are reflecting where I am, like, how can I be upset about that? Like if you're happy with where you are in life, And that's obviously hard to come to terms with because I think there's always like this hope that you're like, maybe this time I'll just be like way faster than I ever have been in the past. Yeah. (laughs) And, you know, that's (laughs) not usually what happens. Um, What was the second part of your question? I got got going there. Like what steps did you take to feel comfortable with accepting what is what you received or the result you received? Yeah. I mean, I think for starters, I'm not entirely sure I'm there yet, but I'm a lot closer than I have been in the past for sure like at Sea Otter this year I was I think 14th or 15th I don't know I honestly didn't even spend that much time looking at the results which is good for starters but it was like pretty mid-pack and I was like you know what that's like where my preparation is right now like that is totally where I'm at so like sweet you know I didn't crash I didn't totally get super nervous and like blow one stage which is a bit of a pattern for me so I think 
I don't know. It's a difficult process. Like I've been working with a sports psychologist. I've been doing a lot of meditation and a lot of journaling and a lot of just like, I had to take a big step back last year and be like, you know, you are doing this for fun. You're not making millions of dollars. <laughs> if it's not fun, what are you doing here? So that's sort of where I'm at now. It's like, I'm not going to race if it's not going to be fun. Like I have to find that balance where it's like, this is enjoyable. And like, maybe it's not, you know, fun in the moment, but at least like type two fun. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it's a, I think it's just a process. I haven't really talked to anyone who's like, yeah, I'm like totally good with celebrating, you know, a success, a good race for me if I'm mid pack or like the, at the end of the field, even if I you know, had a really good race. I think that's really hard to do. Yeah, for sure. I think that a big problem is that our self-worth is so tied up in results and also what other people's interpretations are of those results. So mm -hmm. I think it takes a lot of confidence and I think it's a never ending process of just being comfortable with where you're at and accepting where you're at and also having self-compassion with where you're at. Yeah, for sure. The thing I've realized in the past like two years is that nobody is actually really paying attention to your results. And it's all <laughs> like about how you portray it. If someone asks you like, oh, how the race go? And you're like, oh, it was, I was like third and it sucked, you know, they'll be like, oh, I'm sorry. But if you're like, oh, I was 12th and you know, I was stoked on that. And they'll be like, good job. I'm so happy for you. You know, so like, People don't really care <laughs> that much. Like, it's all us. <laughs> yeah, we're the ones who care. So I think, like, that can be really hard to remember because as human beings, we're super wired to think that everyone else is thinking about us, but, like, they're not. Exactly. I love that. I always think about that, too. I think <laughs> this is the smallest, most insignificant thing. I'm in the tiny town on some other part of the world, and nobody cares except for me. So <laughs> don't take it too yeah. seriously. Yeah, with enduro racing, it's like nobody even knows what it is. Like not even people who've been mountain biking their whole lives still don't know what enduro is. So like you really just can't get like too wrapped up in it. <laughs> like, yeah, I took, not... I took a stab at it at enduro racing and I actually really loved it. But I did three enduro stage races in one year. And the first thing that I noticed immediately was that you're going to make mistakes. You're going to make a lot of mistakes and mm -hmm. all of those mistakes compound. So if you're in the middle of a stage and you blow a corner or you crash or you get a flat tire, it's finding a way to not let that affect you for the rest of the day or even the rest of that stage because it's just really hard to let it go. So how do you let it go when you're in an enduro and like you start making mistakes? How do you stay present? That's something that I've gotten a lot better at. Like when I first started, like my first year of racing enduro, I'd have like a little crash and then I would just like fall apart. And then I get to the bottom, I'd be like, if it had just been that first little crash, I might have still been in the running here, you know, but I let that turn into like, you know, I rode off the trail, I blew a corner, I like crashed again and bent my handlebar, you know, like all these things. So it, like you said, it totally compounds. I think it's this mentality of, like you said, being in the present, but also just like not thinking about it. And the way that I've sort of worked on that with myself is I just put it off for later. Like if I do something really dumb and I'm upset about it, I just tell myself like, you can cry about it at the end of the stage. Like, and then by the time you get to the end of the stage, it's like, oh, that wasn't that bad. Like it's fine, you know, but you just don't start that process of like processing it or thinking about it or regretting it like until later. And then obviously like, then at the end of the stage, you're like, okay, I'm going to think about this at the end of the race. When I like talk to my coach and like discuss how it went. 
And then by the time you get to that point, it's like usually it's not, you've left the emotion out of it, which is what you need to do. Cause like that, that's what gets you in trouble. At least for me, it's not the, I mean, obviously I've had crashes that have ended my races like, and that because I broke my bike or like broke my helmet, you know, and then that's a totally different ball game. But like what I think we're talking about here is like the little mistake. And then that internal narrative that is just like, Oh, I'm terrible. I suck. I'm never going to get good at this. Like that's what you have to just like push it off till later. And to me, it's very helpful to be like later, because if I say like, Oh, I can't think like that, then it, it fights back more, I think. Okay. So you have a cue that you use for you. The word is later whenever those ruminations of bad thoughts yeah, start coming out. Yeah. Or just like wait on it. Like, like freak out later. <laughs> Not right now. <laughs> I think that's really great advice. Yeah. Cause I think, you know, a lot of people would tell you to just like, to not think those things, but when you are thinking them, it's like really hard to be like, no, I'm not, you know, like then it <laughs> becomes this battle of wills. So if you can just kind of postpone. <laughs> yeah. So I want to talk about your blog. It's a really awesome blog and you actually write a blog post every Wednesday, which I think is amazing. Cause it's really hard to stay consistent with all the other things that you have going on. So when did you start your blog and what inspired you to take it in the direction that you have? So I actually started my blog as a travel blog in 2013. And this was, I had just graduated from college and I didn't know, like I knew I was going to race bikes, but I was like, I'm never going to make any money doing that. I better create a travel blog that makes money. So that backfired entirely. Like (laughs) I, I did a lot of like really good writing, I think, but like, the thing I realized is like, I like traveling, but I like traveling to like go ride my bike, which is like a pretty niche travel blog market. You know, like I don't really care about going to like tourist destinations that much. So I was like, really, I should probably be writing about riding bikes. Um, And it kind of over the years morphed into like me writing like race recaps or sort of just generally like, like emotional word vomit a little bit. But that emotional word vomit got a lot of positive feedback because I think a lot of people were like really related to it. So that's been really cool. And it's actually just this past year that I finally was like, okay, like you have all this stuff going on in your head. Like it's not that hard to write one blog post a week. Like you can actually be consistent with it, which has been like a really good exercise because some weeks I'm like, oh my God, what do I write about? And then like other periods I've had like five scheduled out, you know, so it's sort of motivation comes in and goes as with any creative endeavor. How long does it take you to write a blog post usually? Oh, it depends. Like if I don't have an idea and I'm forcing it, I mean, we're talking like, like it's hard, but then as soon as I have the idea, like, I don't know, like 20 minutes probably. Oh, wow. That's awesome. It's literal. It's, it's, it's word vomit to a degree. (laughs) Well, I don't like the word vomit because I actually think (laughs) that it's really powerful and it really helps people not feel so lonely because like endurance sports are lonely and you're in your Mm -hmm. head a lot. And I think that seeing that other people feel the same things too. And then you actually give people tools on how to make it better. Yeah. That's what I try to do. Cause I think a lot of people are really freaked out about talking about any of this kind of stuff that like goes on in your head. Like, I don't know if it's just extension of the fact that I think a lot of people are not that connected to their emotional state or not that Maybe they just sort of like let the emotions rule them a little more than is desirable. So it can be really scary to kind of start thinking that through. So I think it has been helpful for a lot of people who are like, oh, like, I'm not crazy. Like, this is a totally normal reaction to, you know, what I'm trying to do on the bike. 
Yeah, but I also think that people are afraid to be vulnerable and all of your blog posts are you're very vulnerable in them. You tell people exactly what was going on. Like you tell people that you cried. And Mm -hmm. I think it's really hard for people to share that. But once you start sharing that, it becomes addicting because you realize, wow, like people actually still like me for who I am, even whenever I'm being at my most vulnerable. And I think that's a really powerful tool that people can exercise. Yeah. I also, I just think for me personally, like when I'm writing, if I am writing something that's like not true, if I have had contracts in the past to like write brand blog posts and I find that to be like, it takes me forever. It's so painful. It like ends up (laughs) crap. Like I just can't, I can't write inauthentically. I can't do it. So like if I'm writing these blog posts, it's just going to be like what's going through my head and it like comes out. And I I think I I do it. I do a proofread generally. So it's not a total hot mess, but I can't not be vulnerable. Like I wouldn't publish it. You know, it would be, Mm -hmm. it would be crap. (laughs) And I think that is why like a lot of pro bike racers blogs kind of suck because it's like you can tell that it's like, all right, you're giving us the blow by blow of the race. But like this isn't what was actually going on in your head, you know, unless you're some sort of like cyborg. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, I also think, though, that some people just don't understand that people want to hear the story of what somebody is going through. The story of the race and what happened play by play they do that a lot in other sports. Like if you watch ESPN, they go play by play. They don't talk about how so-and-so felt when they missed their three-point shot. That's just not how other sports are portrayed. (laughs) So for some reason, cycling is just, is not interesting whenever you talk about it play by play, like you would in another sport. It's way more the story, the adventure, the, like the, what happened. And I don't know Uh why cycling isn't interesting on a play by play basis. Cause I don't find that interesting either. (laughs) yeah I personally don't find even like I don't really follow sports NFL or anything like that so I don't find that that interesting either but I think there's probably an element of it being like at least for enduro right you don't even know the results in the race so if you're like doing a play-by-play like of your stages it's like there's nothing there's no conflict there like at least maybe in like an xc race you're like going back and forth with somebody and like that's kind of interesting but yeah in enduro there's none of that it's like okay like i missed that corner and then i like sideswiped this tree and like <laughs> you know i you know in the right context maybe it could be interesting but yeah it, it needs help it needs personality <laughs> that's actually something i really loved about enduro is that you it, it was you against the course and mm-hmm. Like I said, I have very limited experience with Enduro, but it seems like there's a lot of really great camaraderie because you're not really racing somebody else. So whenever Mm -hmm. your friend finishes or your competitor finishes the stage, you're actually happy for them. You're not as like worried about it because you don't even know what your result is. Yeah, I think that's totally true, especially like the women's fields, like the women's pro field, like in the US, like everyone is so friendly. And I think everyone's like pretty legitimately want like you want your friends to do well I think there's also less opportunity for conflict of like oh so and so like didn't let me pass or like blocked me or whatever like you don't have any of that (laughs) so I think that's really nice I think there are a lot of like dudes that get pretty competitive and worked up about it and maybe not the nicest but I think that's kind of sports in general and I think there's a male female thing going on there for sure not to hate on the guys or anything but (laughs) So with racing enduro, I've actually thought about switching because I really love technical riding. But the Mm -hmm. idea of playing a numbers game where eventually you're going to get hurt really bad. I don't know if that's a wrong assumption, but like, how do you deal with that with enduro racing? 
Yeah, that's interesting because I don't think it's necessarily a numbers game. I think it depends on how you ride and how close to the edge you go in races. I don't think there's necessarily... There are many people who have raced enduro, you know, at the EWS level without any major injuries for, I mean, maybe like little things, because I mean, it's mountain biking, stuff happens. But I don't think it's necessarily a guarantee. I don't feel like it is really. I think it's funny that you're interested in like switching, because I've recently been being like, oh, maybe I should do like more endurance stuff, because I think there is an element for me where like, I find being afraid of courses like really exhausting. Mm-hmm. And, you know, most of the courses that I race, like, don't have, like, in the U.S., like, don't really have stuff that, like, really freaks me out. But, like, when I race, like, EWS stuff, it's just that there's this element of fear that can be really exhausting. And also, I think, impede you from, like, you're talking about, like, with success, like, impede you from feeling like you're having that race where you're really racing to your abilities. Because when you're scared of things, you don't general so yeah that's definitely a challenge I downhill racing definitely doesn't appeal to me at all I'll probably not be doing that <laughs> but yeah okay well maybe I just tend to race on the more dangerous edge because <laughs> I definitely spent a lot of time on the ground at trans BC the year I did it it was like so rainy and yeah. I crashed like more than 14 times <laughs> yeah I heard that race was insane for sure <laughs> yeah but, I mean not all enduro races are like that for starters yeah I mean the wet and muddy stuff, I always am like crashing all over the place, but I tend to like not get that hurt. It's just mainly frustrating mm-hmm. and like maybe some bruises. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, but yeah, I don't love racing in the mud. I'm not going to lie. I want to love it like because I like riding in the mud. But as soon as you put racing in there, I'm just like all over the place. <laughs> so I want to take a quote out of one of your blogs and It's also related to something that I always think about. It's like how we delay our happiness. We say, I'll be happy when I accomplish X. And then whenever you accomplish X, you still don't really feel happy. So you're always delaying it. And you did a blog post about badass. Like when I do something badass, I will be badass. So your Mm -hmm. quote was, when I do something badass and it feels easy, it no longer feels very badass and the cycle begins again. So what advice would you give people on like how to stop delaying happiness or feeling badass or whatever your goal is, like the sense of achievement with that goal. Yeah. So that blog post is actually, that's the most recent one that I published. And I think it, yeah, it comes from this idea of that we set these benchmarks. When I achieve this, I'll be this kind of person. And I think you have to sort of separate those things. You have to say, when I achieve this, I'll have achieved this thing that's it. That's all that it is. It doesn't mean you're a good person or a bad person. It just means that you did this thing, which is awesome. And I think if you let go of all of the attachments to that and just celebrate that you did it, that's awesome. You know, and I think that's one that's really tricky for me, especially with like features like drops or jumps. I don't want, I say that I just want to hit it, right? But then I hit it and I'm not happy with how I did it because I feel sketchy or I'm still scared of it. And I want, you know, or someone takes a picture of me and I look like just like a dead sailor in the air. (laughs) (laughs) You know, so like I actually want a lot more than that. So I think it's helpful to recognize that to be like, okay, I don't want to just hit this drop. I want to hit it totally confidently and not feel sketchy at all so I think that you you articulate that first and then you break it down you're like okay well maybe the first step is just to hit it 
and then you celebrate that because you're like okay I did the first step towards my goal like and then maybe like the 10th time you hit it you're like all right I have achieved the goal of like hitting it and not being freaked out but I think we put we don't really articulate to ourselves what we actually want and like we also put all of this meaning on it of like oh like when if I can hit this drop then I'll be like this kind of badass bike racer chick that like can do anything you know when it's like no you're just like a person that hit the drop and that's awesome but like step back a little bit (laughs) yeah and I think that also relates to another quote I want to read about progression and you said we've been thinking about progression all wrong progression is not overcoming fear progression is not forcing yourself to do things that scare you progression is not standing at the top of the trail feature and banging your head on the ground trying to get yourself to do it which I have done before oh yeah we all have (laughs) progression is the opposite of all that so for you what does progression mean I think progression it's not something that's entirely under your control. And I don't think it, you often don't notice the progression. And I think that's why it can be hard to like, you know, you always notice when you hit that big scary feature and you're like still freaked out by it and it's sketchy. And like, like you notice that obviously, but it can be very hard to sit back and be like, Hey, like six years ago, this trail made me cry. And now it's like a warm up. you know, like that's real progression. And it, it takes time so much more time than people think and that's not to say that it isn't it's actually kind of funny that post was um republished by carmichael training systems and i got in like a bit of an argument with this guy in the comment section who was like you have to just overcome like this is terrible advice like real athletes just push through fear and like overcome it and <laughs> i was just like give me a break first of all like there are certainly situations where you have to just push through fear and like learn to control that this guy was like bringing up like Alex Honnold and being like, there's someone who like, just, it's like, well, that's really different because you're like, he's doing things that he knows he can do that also have like huge consequences, which is like the opposite of mountain biking, right? You're doing things that you don't know if you can do them that have big, but not, you know, falling 2000 foot consequences. (laughs) So I think like, this is like a really touchy subject for some people. And I think a lot of people are like, yeah, you have to just push through the fear, like just send it bra. Like, you know, like, and I don't think that's really good advice. I, and there are those moments where you have to just be like, all right, I got, I know I have this. I got to get out of my own head. I got to do it. But that's not really progression. That's you're, you're still doing it with the abilities that you have in that moment. And, and progression is like three years later when you hit that drop and you're like, oh, it's so funny that I had that whole temper tantrum before I hit this the first time. That's when you've progressed. Yeah. It's funny. I had Ryan Leach on the podcast and he said, (laughs) you should not be riding something if you feel really afraid of it. That's not the time to ride it. Yeah. Yeah. That's what my skills coach Lee, Lee likes bikes says as well. He is really adamant on that. It's like fear screws up your body positioning. Like your, you know, your brain is not optimum. I think for me, like doing what I've been doing, like it would have been hard to like survive races if I didn't right if I was just like I can't ride this you know like I would have had to not do things but I probably would have gotten hurt less so there's definitely like I think if you're just in it for fun and like that's totally the way to go like be kind to yourself and it will come it just takes time yeah I think this all has been dancing around the topic of shame So Mm -hmm. when we're worried about our results, when we're worried about what other people think, whenever you do or do not ride something, we feel ashamed of ourselves. And I know Brene Brown talks about shame quite a bit, but what has your experience been with dealing with shame? Because all of us experience it. 
Yeah, I think that was probably one of my biggest struggles my first year of racing because I had this feel like I felt like there was this huge spotlight on me and that everyone was talking about how I didn't deserve to be racing pro, which like, you know, maybe I didn't like I probably really would have benefited from like racing amateur for a year. But like I said, I didn't want to wait in line. So I like forced <laughs> myself up a category and then just like sort of suffered for an entire year and like felt like everyone was like talking behind my back. And like, honestly, I don't think anyone was I don't think anyone cared. Like, I don't think there was a single person that I was racing against you know, in retrospect. So like we bring this on ourselves. Yeah. I mean, nobody, I guess this is a good way to put it. If you're, I have never been riding with someone and if they're like, Oh, I don't want to hit this jump. I've never thought anything ill of them for that ever. I've never been like, Oh, you're not living up your potential. Like, Oh, like you should be able to do this. (laughs) I've always just thought like, Oh, cool. You're making a good decision. On the flip side, I have ridden with people who frankly like ruin rides because they hurt themselves because they don't know their limits. And you can see it coming a mile off. Like there are people that I just won't ride with because I'm like, this is a train wreck waiting to happen. And like that, that I would much rather ride with someone who knows their limits and like, doesn't care what other people think. And are like, I'm just not going to ride this, you know, like there, if you, I don't, it's like what I was talking about earlier with results. If you, the, the face you put on it is what, people see and like if you throw a fit about not being able to ride a feature or like being last in a group of people like I've totally been there I have totally lost it on group rides because couldn't keep up couldn't keep my shit together like got mechanicals like what you know whatever it is crashed all over the place and I just have lost it and it's I've been miserable to people and I think that's like usually just my husband not everyone but like, you know, like everyone else can see that I think everyone knows this archetype of the ride where you're like man that woman is like pissed at her partner right now like that is it's such a cliche but it uh, we've all been there a little bit I'm sure it goes the other way too um but then on the flip side I've also had rides like when I I've been able to get my head way behind everyone and like legitimately slowing people down like I went on this moto group ride like I don't know what I was thinking. Like it was, it was ridiculous. Like it was in so over my head, but I just like realized that it's like, I can throw a fit and like slow everyone down more, or I can just try to keep my act together as long as I can to get to a point where I can like get the hell out of here. Cause I don't belong here. And like, I'm going to get killed. And then you know, that's what I did. And it was fine. And, and everyone was actually like kind of impressed. Cause like I was pitching my motorcycle all over the place, but I was like still smiling when we stopped and still keeping it together. And you know, I guess if you can't impress people with your talent, like impress them with your attitude, you know, mm-hmm. I would much rather ride with someone who's slow and like happy about it than some like grumpy pro racer who's like fast, but thinks they're shit, you know, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. And I also think that that goes along with this other post you wrote about stop saying I'm sorry for things. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because, like, I live in Canada now, and Canadians, this is a stereotype, but they apologize for everything all the time. And instead of saying, excuse me, they'll just say sorry or just sorry. And I've started doing that. So whenever I read that post, you know, and I have been on group rides where I apologize because I'm not keeping up or I'm choosing not to keep Mm -hmm. up or whatever. So tell us about that, like how to stop saying I'm sorry, how to stop apologizing and what you do instead. This whole idea came to me out of a comic on I think it was like boardpanda.com. They have this little comic. So it's like, instead of saying sorry, say thank you. And it's like, 
if you're late, like say, thanks for waiting. And, and I can't remember what else is on there, but it's like, I was like, wow, that makes so much sense. Like, and that totally applies to riding bikes. Like if you're slow, like, yeah, you can apologize, but you're putting it all on yourself at that point. And if instead you're like, thanks for waiting. Like, thanks for taking care of me. Thanks for like pushing my motorcycle out of a ditch. You know, like you're just, <laughs> all of these are positions I've been in, like, you know, like then you're, you're turning that narrative around and you're, you know, your people will feel good about themselves for helping you and waiting on you. And like, it, but, you know, they probably didn't mind in the first place. And when you're apologizing, you know, especially if you're apologizing a lot, it, t- it sort of sours the mood of the ride, you know, because I think there's this need that when you're saying like, sorry, I'm so slow, like you're kind of putting this awkward pressure on people to like assure you that you aren't slow and like that's fine the first time but like by the 10th time like and I've been on the opposite side of this too like by the 10th time you kind of just want to shake the person and be like shut up and keep riding okay like you're doing fine but like I don't want like you know like let's just keep going <laughs> like <laughs> you know and and it's really exhausting to have to feel like you you know when someone's apologizing to you to have to feel like you have to like take care of that you know, their ego to a degree. And if you're able to let go of your own ego and be like, thank you so much. Like, I really appreciate this. I realize I'm in over my head. Like what, what can I do to get myself out of this situation? People are really grateful for that. Cause like nobody wants to bring someone on a group ride and like leave them out there for dead. I think when you're having a really bad ride, at least for me, like I get, you know, you get a little dramatic and you're like, you kind of just or like, like, you know, what if I just stopped here and like was eaten by vultures, you know, like that. And sometimes, <laughs> like, sometimes you hope that happens too. <laughs> totally, totally. And you kind of like, there's this awful part of you that kind of wants everyone else to feel bad that they put you in this situation, which is bullshit because you put yourself there. Like I, every time I've gotten myself into this, it's not because someone's been like, like, you'll, you know, maybe there were people who are like, yeah, you'll be fine. But like, sure. They, so they were wrong. Like, whatever, you know, that I still decided to come and I still decided to do this. So like, I have to take responsibility to get myself out of the situation or just, you know, keep going and get to the end of the ride or, or, you know, if it's, if it's all in the mental, if it's all in the headspace, like turn that shit around and ride your bike, you know, it's possible. It's hard, but it is possible to turn around a really crappy ride. Like it can happen. (laughs) Yeah. Can can you give people three things they can do if they're having a bad ride to turn it around and actually make it fun? I think mindfulness and meditation is is really helpful for this because I think it teaches you to stop those negative feedback loops that are going on in your head and just sort of step out of it. And sometimes you have to sit down on the side of the trail and like cry your face off. Like sometimes you have to do that first. Like <laughs> that's okay. You know, if it's one of those days, like sometimes you have to do that first. But then you have to get up and you have to be like, okay, you know, have to make a make a plan. Sometimes I've done things like, okay, I'm gonna. You know, this is when I'm hiking. You know, I've been done some races where you like, you're literally hiking your bike for like three hours to one stage. <laughs> that can be pretty discouraging. And there was, you know, so I have a GPS Garmin. I have a stages unit now. I had a Garmin for this race, and I would stop every 200 feet of elevation and like chill for a second like and that you know I was bonking like really hard and so like hike up 200 feet 
so this it was elevation gain not per, so a little bit longer than 200 feet not that much farther though. it was like literally walking off a cliff um <laughs> and just it just stop every 200 feet and as you do that like it starts to add up and like you start moving and you're you're making forward progress which sometimes is all you can ask for if it's a really bad day so letting go of that past and future thinking is huge especially like in a race scenario like I'm sure this is like a huge battle for an endurance racer too is to be like worrying about like the next climb or like that so-and-so is going to catch you from behind or like all of this stuff when really like probably you just need to like keep turning the pedals and just think about that and like if someone catches you you like you deal with that when it happens or like if this next climb is as bad as you think you know you deal with that when it happens and things are usually not as bad in the present as they are when they're like looming over us Mm -hmm. yeah I think that that's really great advice so I want to switch gears a little bit you mentioned you had started your blog as a travel blog to make money back in 2013 and for those of us who are actually working super hard, doing tons of different things to make a go of it as a racer. We know kind of what each other is doing to make money, but a lot of people look at a pro racer and they're like, how the heck do they make money? So can you talk to us about the things that you do to make a go of it as a racer and how you make an income? My husband and I sort of, we've created like a bit of a joint brand. So we work with a lot of sponsors together really helpful because we're sort of able to offer a little bit more together than either of us would be separately. So our main income right now is sponsorship. So we work with about six different brands of financial level. So basically like we have a contract with them, they pay us a set amount over the course of the year. And then all of those contracts look a little different. So some of them, it's just like, you know, we use their gear and like show up at X number of races, like others, we maybe write some or like I write some blog posts or like we do some videos for them, like basically content creation. With some companies, we do some product testing. So I I think the thing with making a living as an athlete is to just be really flexible and like take the opportunities that come. You know, you're not just, at least for us, like we are not just athletes. Like we don't, you know, we're not on a factory team. We don't just like get to show up at the race and like have someone take care of all of our stuff. Like (laughs) that's just not the reality that would be and so crazy people, to have that experience like I, I, I just can't even imagine what that would be like <laughs> I really can't either I've seen it go down with like EWS teams and I'm always like man that and I think for like Enduro World Series racing like that makes total sense because it, those races are logistically challenging and like having someone take care of those logistics like man that must be really nice but the, really that's the reality for a very tiny percentage of mountain bike athletes and the rest of us have to be creative <laughs> and do other things so uh, like I said all of our contracts with sponsors are like really different like some we get paid like per video or per blog post and like some it's like a set amount over the course of the year so cash flow is always very interesting at this point we've really figured it out we're doing okay past years when we first started trying to make money doing this it was like like are we going to be able to pay the credit card bills this week or this month like are we gonna get paid you know it's like really (laughs) up in the air I've done a decent amount of freelance writing too. I don't, to be honest, I don't love relying on freelance writing as a, as an income. I don't know if you've run into this, but the payments can be really unreliable. And <laughs> I was like, about to say, yeah. Uh... It's just a pain in the butt. Like I'd rather just write my own blog post. That's sort of what I've come down to. So now at this point, we're like 80% sponsorship, 
and we've channel. So this is my husband and I. So it's Sid and Mackie on YouTube, making a little bit of money off that via like Patreon, which is a sort of like a pay per subscription thing. So people can like support us and get stickers and longer videos. Mm-hmm. So that's one way to make money. Then we make some money off of ads on YouTube. And we make some money off of like affiliate links, which is basically like we put links in, I have links in my blog posts and we put links in our video descriptions. And then if you click on those links, there's a record of it and we get like a tiny percentage of that price. That's not a huge earner, but you know, every cent counts. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. So like, how do you stay grounded with that? Because I know, I personally know it can be a little bit stressful. Um, yeah. So how do you stay grounded with that? It's been helpful. We've been able to keep our expenses like really low. We've been living in a van. Like we don't have any huge, like for us, it's been really helpful to not have huge monthly expenses. Cause that's when it gets like really sketchy. Cause when you don't know when your money is coming in, like mm-hmm. if you have, if you're able to like plan when you buy, say plane tickets or race entries based on like when you have cash, like that's a lot better than being like, okay, I have a mortgage that I have to pay every month. Like that's hard. So we basically spent no money for like two years and we're able to, we now have like a bit of a rainy day fund, which is just like taking the stress off a lot. So mm-hmm. we're able to, we know we haven't really had to dip into that, but it's like helpful to know that we can. I think that helps with like taking some creative risks. Like we definitely spent a lot of time focusing on YouTube earlier this year. That probably meant like we didn't make quite as much money with sponsorship as like we could have, but like that was okay. Cause we're investing in like a new way to make money going forward. But yeah, it's, um, it's not an easy career. I don't think, I think you have to really want that freedom and, you know, ability to ride your bike all the time. Like that has to be really important to you, I think. And it's really important to both Mackie and I that we're willing to sacrifice a lot of other things that people take for granted, you know, the sort of stability of like knowing where you're going to be at any given time, like knowing where you're going to sleep for the night, like all, you know, and like being able to have a fridge with like more than 10 things in it. Like, I don't know, like it's a sacrifice for sure, I think, to do what we enjoy doing. But I think it's worth it. (laughs) I love that. That's so cool. And there's not many people that can say that they're doing exactly what they want to be doing in their life. And it is hard to do, but it's such a privilege. And it's also such a gift to live where we live and to have been born in the time that we've been born in. Because Mm -hmm. without all the things that we have now, especially like the internet and social media and ways to connect with people, we just wouldn't be able to live the lives that we're living in the way that we are. Yeah, for sure. I actually think about that a lot because it's incredible. Like we are able to make money like basically via our phones and like computers and like a few other gadgets. Like we're able to work doing that. Like even if I I were like 10, 15 years older, you know, like that wouldn't really have been an option at this point in my life at all. So yeah, that's pretty incredible. And I think it is really, you know, I think like working remotely like really is kind of the future I feel like a lot of corporations are going to that. I don't know. It's an interesting world we live in right now. Cool. I think we should wrap it up at that. But where's the best place for people to find you and to connect with you? Yeah, so my blog is sidschultz.com. So that's S-Y-D-S-C-H-U-L-Z.com. There's no T in Schultz. 
<laughs> this is a problem that I run into a lot. But if you Google me even with a T, you'll probably find it. And then on YouTube, Sid and Mackie. Mackie with a Y and no E and Sid with a Y, not an I. So we, we both have like really difficult names to spell. So everyone's like, yeah, like, what's your Instagram? Like, well, here we go. You have a pen and piece of paper. But um, I'm sure you can put some links in there to help people out as well. <laughs> yeah, I will definitely link to all the places people connect with you. And I'll also yeah. link to the blog posts that we mentioned um, yeah. in the show in the show notes so people can read them specifically because you go into quite a bit more detail. Yeah, for sure. Cool. Awesome. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Yeah. It was great to talk to you. And yeah, I, I would love to ride fun. sometime. Like, let me know yeah, if you, you want to come up to BC and ride. <laughs> I would love to. I don't think that's on the calendar for us this year. But like, you know, we have only really been in BC for like Crankworks, which like doesn't count even. So I got to make it happen. <laughs> yeah, awesome. <laughs> cool. All right. Thanks so much, Sonia. Thanks. Sid is such a rad woman. I really like her and I'm really excited that I got to talk to her because a lot of times all of my fellow racer friends, I don't really get to spend an hour at a time talking to them because we're so busy traveling all over the place. Make sure you sign up for Sid's newsletter and check out her website. She always has a lot of great insight to read and all of her posts are super valuable and I end up bookmarking them in my inbox because I like to revisit them sometimes. The Do Epic Shit Socks are live. They are well, they are ready. And it's been cool because people pre-ordered them. So I'm seeing people posting pictures wearing the Do Epic Shit Socks, seeing people wearing the Effing Magical Unicorn Socks. It's pretty fun. But I promise Moxie and Grit won't just be a profanity sock line. There's going to be some different socks coming out in the future that have different designs. And I'm also going to be adding some probably hats and shirts and even a cycling kit by the end of the summer. Lots to do, lots of design, lots of fun creativity to work on. If there are certain colors or certain designs that you guys are really interested in, I am always open to feedback and I'm always open to feedback on this podcast as well. Sometimes I wonder about the length of it, if it's too long or if it's the right length and if you want to hear more. So thanks so much for your feedback on the show and thanks so much for leaving a review on iTunes. That really helps with the searchability of the show. And if you need help, all you have to do is open up iTunes, go to the show and then click ratings and reviews, which is in the center menu, and then you can do it. And it takes two seconds. So thanks you guys, really appreciate that. I'm just getting back from Japan, which is awesome, and I can't wait to tell you guys all about that. I will do a special edition podcast talking about my travel experience in Japan, and I also have a free, probably monthly newsletter. Um, I probably need to send it out more often. It's probably not even quite monthly, but I try to keep you guys updated as to what I'm up to, and my most recent newsletter was about the Marathon Nationals, and it was about the trails in Arkansas and just about the cool experience and all the things that went well in the race. So make sure you subscribe to my newsletter. Just go to sonyalooney.com, and a little prompt will pop up on the site, and you can put in your email, and I promise not to spam you. That's it for today's show, you guys. Thanks again for listening. Wishing you all the best success in your training and adventures, and we'll see you back here next week. Thank you.